It's not about us. It's about Jesus. How easy it is for us to forget those simple words. How hard it is to push back against that. It's easy to come in on a Sunday morning and think worship is all about us. It's all about who's teaching, who's preaching, what songs are we going to sing, where I'm going to sit, is somebody going to be in my seat, what I look like, what they look like, what they did do, what they didn't do. It's easy for worship to become all about us. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's easy to come in on Sunday morning and actually make work. Why are they giving out palm leaves? It don't match my, it's easy for it to become all about us. And the smallest things on Sunday morning that, that Satan throws at you completely distracts you. But if you come here with the, with the understanding, it ain't about you anyway. All right, maybe they didn't see you. Maybe that's why they didn't speak this time. Or maybe the lesson, maybe you did read that earlier this week, but it's really not about you. <laughs> but it's really about Jesus. It's about Jesus. His glory and his namesake. So as we prepare for worship this morning, may we be reminded that it is all about Jesus. If you would, join me in your hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we... We're sorry. Lord, I'm sorry that our days are often filled with concern about ourselves over the greater concern that is for your glory. Father, I'm sorry. We're sorry that there are many times where we don't take your word seriously. And where you say, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to your glory. And Father, we find ourselves doing things in a mundane way. Because we think it's all about us. But Father, I beg that you will pour out your Holy Spirit and revive our hearts. That the reason why we showed up this morning was for transformation and not for tradition. Father, I, ask that, I, I beg that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts and prepare us to receive your word. Father, I'm sorry we, we didn't prepare ourselves to walk in this morning. But Father, I beg that you would stir our affections for Jesus. Give us a right mind and a right heart. Give us a, a right praise and a right now worship. Father, whatever cares, whatever issues of life that are going on in our minds right now, Father, I ask that you would help us to, to cast that aside and to set our affections on King Jesus right now. Father, for you are our master. You are uh, our creator and sustainer. You are worthy of our attention, worthy of our affections, worthy of our worship right now, dear God. Father, I beg, as, as John the Baptist declared, Father, right now, I pray that we would decrease and that you would increase in this place. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit, would, you would come and your Shekinah glory would be about this room and that you would permeate our hearts 
with a love and a devotion for you, dear God, that you will wake us up and, and live out our salvation right now, dear God. We will not wait for things to, to be uh, exciting and happening, but Lord, you will prepare us to leave this place and go to the highways and the byways and to be witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us, ready us, prepare us to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. Father, I ask that you would help our lips and our lives to match. That what we say about you will be true about our lives. Father, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy to speak the mysteries of Christ and the oracles of God. But you have saw fit by your mercy and your grace to call us together for such a time as this. So I ask King Jesus, Master, would you please speak? And as you are speaking, would you please give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts ready to receive? Father, consecrate us to yourself, that we will rightly honor and worship you as God. We do love you and we do thank you. In the matchless and mighty and magnificent name of Jesus the Christ, and all of God's people said together, amen, 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 amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his kindness, for his goodness. Bless his holy his holy and righteous name. Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome uh, you and all of our guests to this church gathered at Forest Baptist, where we believe that this building is not the church, but the people who have trusted in, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, where we are the church. Uh, you know, often when we read a scripture, uh, if you would simply, uh, not simply, if you would Replace every time you see in the New Testament the word church with the words like me and God's people. It'll give you a new perspective of what God requires of his church. So when God says he wants the church to do X, Y, and Z, he ain't talking about he wants the preachers and the deacons and the trustees to do it. He's talking to all of us who have made professions of faith as the church. So we are the church. But this morning, turn with me. Back to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, as we uh, finish looking at this eighth and final beatitude. Beloved, living for Jesus brings persecution. There's no way around that. If you genuinely love Jesus and have committed in your heart to be faithful to him, you will face persecution. There will be overt persecution in your life where it is just plain to see. We don't like Christians here. We don't like you. We don't like your Jesus. We don't like your God. We don't believe in your God. We hate your religion. It's, it's sometimes it's overt like that. But many times persecution we receive for loving Jesus comes in, in, in a covert way where, where people kind of sad talk to you. They, they talk behind your back. 
you are looked over for promotions, people treat you a certain way on the job, and, and all kind of little things that, that are really not uh, in your face, but yet we know that we are facing persecution because of what we believe. Certain folks just won't come around no more because they know how you feel about X, Y, and Z. People don't want to talk to you no more because instead of uh, you saying, girl, what you should have did, you say, well, have you sought the Lord's word and answer for your prayer for this issue? So there's a lot of times where we face those persecution, but ultimately, and we said this last week, the reason why persecution comes is because Satan is actively working to silence your witness for God and in front of people. Satan is actively working to silence your witness. Satan hates Jesus. He hates the gospel. He hates those who are followers of Jesus. So he is actively and openly opposing you to keep you from being bold in your faith. Satan loves nothing more than, uh, than a, a, a Christian who is silent about their love for Jesus. Second Corinthians 4, 4 reminds us of this, how in their case, the God of this world has blinded the, the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan doesn't want people to come to know Jesus, so he shuts God's people up by giving them oppression, by making them scared of what might happen if they open their mouth. But, beloved, I tell you, if we don't tell the world about the light, then many will remain in darkness. If God's people can't say nothing about their Savior, then who else are going to go to the highways and the byways? Who else is going to uh, speak a word that's going to give life and bring life? If, if the people of God who say that God has done something for us, who say that Jesus is our Savior, who say that he has, he has bringing us out, he brought us out of darkness and into his, his marvelous light. If, if we actually believe what we say we believe about Jesus, then we couldn't help but tell everybody about Jesus. If he is the one who really brought you over, if he is the one to the hills from which you, you look for your help, if he is really the one who is doing what you say he is doing, then why won't you tell somebody else about what he could do in their lives? We must be witnesses for Jesus. And last week we laid out simply being Christian means being bold for Christ. If Christians would simply be Christian, this world would look so much different. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 10th verse. We're looking at this last beatitude. If you would, please stand with me in honor and read him God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And as Jesus, he, he's speaking to his disciples, and he, he gets to this and he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter, uh, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
The blessings of being Christian. Be bold. Be bold. From the beginning, Satan has opposed God's plan for this world. In the third chapter of Genesis, we see satanic oppression taking the form of deception against Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in a right relationship with God and one another and with this land. They are God's image bearers who were created not only to be uh, those who, who, who are witnesses for him, but in being the image bearer, everyone that they uh, come in contact with would eventually see the face of God. Satan has an issue with this, so he brings forth oppression through deception, and he deceives the man and the woman, and they fall into sin, wrecking havoc upon this world, breaking the fellowship, the pure and beautiful and wonderful fellowship that they have with, 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 with God in heaven and, 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 and causing issues in the relationship that they have with one another. So sin enters in because of satanic oppression. But notice this in chapter 4, immediately following chapter 3, immediately following the fall, we have this escalation of satanic oppression and opposition. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they con conceive and they bear children. Two of their children are named here, Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. And the text of Scripture says, as they are going about their life, Cain, he was a farmer. He was a man of the ground. And Abel, he was a, he was a shepherd. He took care of the sheep. He tended the flock. And in them coming before God to give, a, uh, to give honor, to give a sacrifice to him, the text says that when Abel came before God, uh, the Lord was pleased by his sacrifice. But when Cain came before God, his sacrifice was disregarded. This caused an issue with Cain. Cain was mad at God, basically. But, but God, being loving, being merciful, being kind, he comes to Cain and says, Cain, chill out, man. Sin is at your door. And if you give in to it, it's going to overtake you. Just a verse later, we see that Cain invites his brother Abel into the field, and he murders him. What in the world is going on? We see religious persecution taking place in the fourth chapter of Genesis. We see that Cain is rising up against Abel because Abel did the right thing in front of God. And not only does Cain raise up against Abel because Abel did the right thing before God, actually Cain raises up against Abel because he's mad at God. And Abel represents someone who, who, who reflects God well in the world. So, all, so Satan has ramped up persecution of those who are righteous by, by, by bringing forth murder. Beloved, persecution ain't new. This has been going on for centuries, for decades. But yet, the only thing different about our lives right now here in America, now there are countries where, you, where there is a legitimate fear of being a Christian because you will be murdered, you will be cast aside, you will be ostracized. But here in America, that's not really happening. Beloved, the fear that we have in America, we worried about what somebody might say about us. We not even worried about what they will say. We worried about what they might say what friends I might lose, what influence I might drop, what job I, I, I might be transferred from. It ain't even happened in our life, and Satan has us so scared that we go on our jobs and we come up with crazy 
crazy statements like, well, you know you ain't supposed to talk about Jesus in the workplace. Who came up with that rule? That's a lie from the pit of hell. You, you mean you can't take Jesus on the job? There's never an opportunity. Now, it's different to be in the meeting and all of a sudden you just stand up on the table and start preaching Jesus in the middle of the meeting. Now you just ain't doing your job. But I'm sure there's a lunch break. There's a passing in the hallway. I'm sure somebody asked you, how was your weekend? How was your day? How was your weekend? Oh, it was fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Because you're scared to tell people I went to church. We're scared of what people may say, but Jesus is saying that you don't be surprised when, to, when, when opposition comes. Those who have committed themselves to live for Jesus will be the target of demonic hostility. 1 Peter 4 and 12 reminds us, Beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We find it strange when people actually don't like us because we say. The Bible says this is going to be normal. But in our mind, we say this is going to be abnormal. So Jesus comes along in the Beatitudes and he says, instead of saying, be safe, be careful, or be smart about it, Jesus wants his followers to be bold. Jesus actually says it's a good thing when people hate you and, and when they hate on you because your life and your lips remind them of Jesus. That's a good thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they intentionally and faithfully follow Jesus. Do people know you follow Jesus? How visible is your Christianity? Last week, we began working through verse 10 here, and we began with the, ex with the explanation, why persecution comes. Why does this, Lord, why does this persecution even come? Why, why are followers of Jesus harassed? Why do we face this opposition? Verse 10 reminds, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And beloved, last week we, we were reminded, people persecute disciples of Jesus because they look like their master. Just because you look like Jesus, that's the only reason. In John, the 15th chapter, Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they hated the master, then surely they will hate his disciples. The reason why people come up against us is ultimately this world doesn't love the, the Savior. But not only that, people persecute disciples of Jesus because they don't like being exposed. John 1 says, and the light came into this world. Jesus came to his own people and they didn't even want him. The Bible reminds us time and time again, that man loves the darkness more than they love the light. So when you coming around 
and you singing that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. When, when, like, when, when that's your life and people see that light, they're going to start hating on you because you're reminding them of the light of Christ and your life will expose the sin that they're in. Folks hate for their sin to be exposed. Adam and Eve shows us this. As soon as they fall into sin, they, they go get fig leaves to begin to hide themselves. And, and when, when people start to disappear out of your life and you begin to check in on them and asking them where they've been, all of a sudden, like, they mad at you because you checking on them. Why? Because they're offended that you would even ask about their sin. Man loves the darkness. We, we love being in the dark. So we're persecuted. And so we, last week we said being bold means being a witness for Jesus. There is no, th- no, there's no such thing as an undercover Christian. There's no such thing as a double agent Christian. You can't play both sides of the fence. The Bible only has two types of people. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't have all the different ethnicities. It doesn't have all this, this well, it has different ethnicities, but it comes down to do you know him? Or don't you? Do you belong to him or do you not belong to him? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? There's no in-between. So what that means is when you should be the same person when you're with all your friends. Don't be all nice and respectful when you're in church and, and as soon as you leave church, you you, you you talking about folks and and acting ugly and getting on the phone. Did you see what such and such had on today? They should be ashamed of themselves. And then you go to work, and then you with your work crowd, then you want to act sophisticated, and you let, you let go all your ebonics, and you, you all straight-laced, and no, you, you got it together. And then you go to lunch with your homeboys, and y'all talking about the girls in the office, and then you come in with the client, and you want to act. Don't be changing. Be who God created you to be. See, Jesus knew we was going to struggle with that. But he loves us so much that he has empowered us and equipped us, didn't he? Acts, the first chapter and the eighth verse, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus knows that we can't do this on our own, so he says, I'm going to send you some help. He sends us the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the helper, or if you're old school, just call him the Holy Ghost. He's the one that comes and he, he fills his people and he gives us courage and he gives us boldness in those times where we want to shrink back. Don't you know that Jesus will put you in a situation where you just have to talk? It's, e- it's either you talk or you might as well just give up your testimony. And he does that to show you that I, I'm with you. You're not by yourself in this. He says we will be his witnesses, one who testifies about what they have seen and experienced for themselves. You know, we was in community group this week, and we were, just, we were just discussing about what it looks like to be bold and what it looks like to, to live in such a way that people will recognize your life. And, 
And Deacon Pollard, he, he told us about a quote that, that he heard long past. He said, uh, if, if being a Christian was a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If being a Christian was a crime, when they took you in a court of law, would there even be enough evidence to convict you? Do people know that you love Jesus? How could we ever hope to make disciples when we won't be witnesses? But God gives grace and he gives strength. That brings us to verse 11 this morning. Now think about verse 11. Verse 11 is the exposition, really, of verse 10 and what takes place. And in verse 11, instead of seeing just what, uh, why persecution comes, in verse 11 we see what persecution looks like. So what exactly does this persecution look like? He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And, 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 and they utter all kinds of evil against you on Jesus' account. So what he's saying is, he, he, people are going to talk about you when you love Jesus. People are going to harass you when you love Jesus. People are going to lie on you because you look like Jesus to them. This word revile, it gives us even a greater understanding. This word means, this word revile means to subject to verbal abuse, to speak disparagingly of a person in a manner which is not justified, to mock, to slander. Boy, we said it last week, we hate for someone to lie on our name. We ready to cut somebody, they lie on our name. Beloved, like a political ad, the world is actively seeking and working to, spear, to smear the name of those faithful to Jesus. The world wants to smear your name. The world wants to uh, disparage you in such a way that when the world looks at you, all of a sudden they don't think they can trust you. Uh, you know how those Christians are. You know how those Christians act. We need to be the very ones who give them a reason to trust Christ. Because we have proven ourselves to be trustworthy. People will weaponize their words to bring about your downfall. People will straight up lie on you in, in, in order to gain uh, 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 access over you. To gain a position that, that you're competing for. They, they know you're faithful. They know you're hardworking. But they will lie in order to try to get ahead of you. This is exactly what the, the religious leaders did to Jesus. And turn with me to Matthew, the, the 26th chapter. I want us to look at this. This is going on in, 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 in some of our lives even now. Matthew, the 26th chapter, beginning with the 57th verse. <clears throat> it reads, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the, country, uh, as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. 
See, Satan already has the plan. He wants to put you to death. In verse 60, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. So, so they're looking at Jesus' life, and his life is impeccable. They can't hold anything over Jesus. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. You see what happened right there? They took the true words of Jesus and perverted them to make it sound like something that it really wasn't. Beloved, we live in a world full of sound bites. And every time we hear a soundbite, there would be someone who takes that and, and twists it and perverts it in, in, in such a way that it, it, it's completely taken out of context. Folks will take your words about righteousness out of context. Verse 61, it said, 62, and the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then, wait, Jesus tells him the truth. This is what it is. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answer, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? People will weaponize their words in order to take you out. All because you love Jesus. But on a side note, notice what's going on. The very folks who came up against Jesus wasn't those sinners in the streets. It wasn't those people in the back alleys. The very people who took down Jesus was those who would have thought of themselves the good church folks. The, the, the good religious folks who were, who were pious, who had it all together. What, what this text shows us that even those within the body of Christ may have a way of persecuting those who are serious for Jesus. There is always opposition from formal religion to a forever relationship. Those who are just religious, they, would, they get mad at those in a real relationship with God because it exposes where they are. But Christ says to, to, to hold on, I'm going to give you grace. So, so he's actually saying being bold often means being, being unaccepted. You're not going to be accepted by everybody. If your goal in life is to be accepted by everybody, then you, you, then you don't need to be a Christian. Loving Jesus means that you will often be lonely. You may be the only Christian at work. You may be the only Christian in your class. You may be the only Christian in your neighborhood. You may be the only Christian in your home. And it, it could be a lonely place. 
But this is exactly why I believe that Jesus, he finished the Great Commission how he did. When Jesus is calling us to make disciples, he finishes up the Great Commission by saying, and, uh, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That means if God is for you, who can be against you? That means if God is on side, on your side, who can stand up? That means when, when no one is around in the midnight hour and you're looking for a friend, Jesus says, my, my, phone, my phone is always open. My door is always open. All you have to do is get on your knees and pray, and I am with you. Cast your cares upon me. Give it to me. Don't fight this fight by yourself. Don't worry about being surrounded by friends. Just worry about my glory, and I'm going to take care of you. Being bold means you're going to be unaccepted sometimes. But Jesus tells us it's, it's worth it, though. It's worth it. Even in the midst of all this persecution, followers of Jesus can still be glad. It's actually a good thing when Satan is your enemy. It's a good thing when Satan ain't your friend. If you don't have any opposition in your life, then Satan gets you on his side. If, 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 if ain't nobody up against you, then Satan got you all, all, all comfortable and cozy. He got you wrapped up like a baby and he got you swaddled. Drinking milk. Can't nobody grow from your life. Can't nobody be saved from your life. But it's when you start speaking up for Jesus that you actually see that there's persecution that comes into your life. But Jesus says, you are not alone. And persecution is not strange for the Christian. In verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice that they're talking about you. What? Rejoice that they overlooked you and you ain't going to get that raise. What? Rejoice that they give you a hard time when you come around. Oh, here comes sister so-and-so. She all righteous and high and mighty. Re rejoice, Jesus? He, he, he not only says rejoice. See, see, when I think about rejoice, it's like that moment. It's like that holly, like hallelujah. I, I'm, I'm rejoicing in that moment, moment. But he says rejoice and be glad. That means you can't walk away from it. That means you can't go up and down. That means it's not just a, an experience that you have on Sunday morning. He says rejoice and be glad. Your life is full of gladness because you're being persecuted. What, Jesus? He's calling us to have the heart of the apostles in Acts, the fifth chapter, when, when, when they're talking about Jesus and, and, and the religious folks throw them in jail. They've been jailed. They've been beaten. Now they're free. And then they got the nerves to say, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I like how the text, the text is in there, he says, for the name, for the name, because they already know if Chris is reading this, they know that name, because it's the name that's above every name. It's the name by which all must be saved. 
It's the name where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. They're talking about the name of Jesus. They said that they were rejoicing to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Beloved, our problem, the reason why we have so many issues is because we think so highly of ourselves that when people say something about us, we all know they did it. Talk about me. They must not know who I am. We are so prideful. We are so haughty. We are so arrogant. We are so full of ourselves that let somebody say the smallest thing about us, we are offended. But that's why the text specifically says it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about the name. They was rejoicing because they were found worthy. Worthy. That their lives was being lived out in such a way that it was understood that Jesus had a claim to their life. They were living in such a way that they knew they couldn't be nothing but Christian because nobody else would let them forget it. We need to have the heart posture of the Apostle Paul in Romans the 8th chapter and 18th verse where he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth Comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says all this hell I'm going through right now does not compare to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. He says it doesn't compare to what I'm going to receive when I see my Savior face to face. He says his present suffering doesn't compare to the fact that I get to walk barefooted on streets of gold. He says it doesn't compare to the fact that my mansion got a, got a diamond doorknob that's going to let me in. He is saying that all that's going on doesn't compare to what God has for me. So I'm willing to endure in the midst of this suffering. Beloved, I can't convince you of how you, how you should be for heaven. I can't convince you of, of how you should feel to think about that one day you're going to be in glory. Nothing in this world can compare to what we have waiting on the other side. But look, I can't convince you. So I was praying, I said, Lord, how, how can I communicate just how glorious you are and how wonderful this salvation is? I said, Lord, don't use my words. Use your words. Then he brought to my mind, eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Then he said to me, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. I, I do prepare a place for you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And I, 
I will come again and take you to myself, if it were, to where I am also. Then he said, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of our great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Then he said, no longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and, and of the Lamb will be on it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his names will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light, nor lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And there they will reign forever and ever. This present life is not worth comparing to the treasures we have in heaven. This is why he says rejoice and be glad. If you belong to Jesus, you, you never broke. Rejoice and be glad. You got heaven. So as we are going through persecution in this life, we, we, ain't gotta, we don't have to lose our mind. We press into Jesus and have him remind us of the reward. For his very son understood this. Beloved, being bold means being filled with the joy of Jesus. I'm unworthy, but God. I was worthless, but God. I was lost, but now I'm found, but God. I'm filled with the joy of Jesus because persecution is a constant reminder that earth is not my home. When all hell is breaking loose around the world, we can rejoice and be glad because earth is not our home. I'm filled with the joy of Jesus because persecution is a constant reminder that I belong to Jesus. When folks are on your head, that's just a reminder you belong to him. Beloved, to see the hope of heaven and then look at ourselves is quite disappointing sometimes. We see Jesus, we see his standard, and then we look at our own lives and we get depressed. Hey, I don't have it all together. Man, I wish I would have done better. Man, I wish I would have opened my mouth. Man, I wish I would have said something. Man, I wish I would have I prayed with them before they left. We're constantly falling and we're constantly failing. But beloved, the reason why we get depressed is because we're looking at the wrong place. We get depressed because we look at ourselves. We get depressed because we stop looking at Jesus. We get depressed because we expect that we have it all together. But the word of God says, look to Christ Jesus, not to ourselves. 
He is our hope. He is our righteousness. We look to Jesus because he was the one for whom the joy set before him endured persecution. Jesus endured slander. Jesus already endured the oppression. Jesus already endured the cross, and he already bore our shame. When we get into the hard days of life, stop looking to yourself and keep your eyes set on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Truly, we should be happy to know that we are in a win-win situation because the scriptures remind us to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So what if they kill you for Christ? To die is gain. So what if they put you down because of Christ? To die is gain. Folks, we got a win-win situation. If, if I live, I live for Christ. But if I die, I'm in his presence. See, if anything, I should be looking forward. I, I may not be trying to rush it, but, but I look forward to seeing my Savior face to face. But here's the reality, beloved. We can either be bold or be ashamed. But Jesus says, if you're ashamed, in Mark 8.38, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me, and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, if you won't open your mouth for me, if, if, if you close your Bible and hide it at work when your boss walk past, if don't none of your friends know you love you, he says, if you are ashamed of me, of, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when it comes, when he comes in glory from his Father with the angels. Jesus is basically saying, if you're ashamed of me in this life, I'm going to be ashamed of you in the next. Either you're for me or you're against me. Beloved, we will never be bold until we belong to Jesus. And the scriptures are clear. We do not belong to Jesus just by praying a prayer. We don't belong to Jesus just because we go to church. We don't belong to Jesus because we do good things. We belong to Jesus when we repent and when we believe. The coin of salvation, on one side is repentance. A lot of us, but we, we've heard the, the call to come to Christ, but we think we could just add Jesus onto our life like a Boy Scout patch. We actually got to take off everything. We got to repent. We have to say, Lord, I'm sorry for being disobedient. I'm sorry for loving myself more than I love you. I'm sorry for not speaking your name. I'm sorry for, for being disobedient. Would you please forgive me? And then by faith we turn and trust in Jesus Christ. For only through Christ alone can we be saved. Beloved, at the end of the day, being Christian means being bold for Christ. Either you are bold or you are ashamed. My prayer is that we will leave this place today and we will raise the blood-stained banner of Christ Jesus that everyone we come in contact will know that we are living witnesses 
for his glory and for his name's sake. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness and for your word. Father, help us to be unashamed. Unashamed of this great and glorious gospel. Father, for the one who doesn't belong to you this morning, I ask that you would show them their sin and need of salvation. Lord, I ask that you would convict them. That you would draw their hearts near to you and you would save them and be with them to the end of this age. Father, for those who have trusted in you already, I ask that you would give us a spirit of boldness and strength. That we will be even more passionate for you. And that this week, we will have a gospel conversation. Father, I pray that you would give us your spirit of boldness as we go out from this place. And I ask that you would provide gospel opportunities. I ask that where doors were closed, that you would open them. And that you will allow us to have conversations with the lost and in, uh, in this dying world. Father, help us to be faithful and to be bold witnesses for you. For your glory, for your namesake, we do pray. Amen.